0: Welcome to Life in the Pit, a podcast about the lives and adventures of instrumentalists within the wonderful world of musical theater. And now, here is your host, David Lane. Hello, hello, everyone. I hope you are all doing wonderful and that you have fun but safe plans this weekend. Did you hear the bonus episode on Terms for Theater Musicians 101? If so, what did you think? Was it helpful, even as a reminder? There are at least two terms I know that I forgot to include, Sitzprobe and Vonderprobe. Well, don't worry, because they come up in this upcoming interview, so you'll learn those as well. Thank you, guys, for all of the encouragement that you give with messages, comments, and reviews. Yes, I've read each review, and I thank you for each one. As I've mentioned elsewhere recently, the best part about about doing all of this is just having great conversations with great musicians. That I get to share it with all of you is just icing on the cake. I just want to say one more thing before I introduce my guest. Due to such a heavy backlog of interviews that I've either already recorded or going to record soon, I think I'm going to be releasing two episodes per week through at least the summer. So now you'll be getting episodes Fridays, but also Tuesdays. Once September gets here, I'll look at where we are, and we may, we may go back to once a week with just an occasional bonus episode. But I want to get these interviews distributed in as timely a manner as possible. Okay, on to the entree, because this is my longest interview so far. Today's guest is Daniel Buchan. We've worked together twice, but since then he has relocated to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where he is enrolled in the University of New Mexico as a graduate student of music education. He is a conductor, composer, and a keyboardist, and he has a lot to share about his experience with each of these in musical theater, but also other genres. I hope you enjoy it. Here is our interview. Today it's my pleasure to be chatting with Daniel Buchan, and we are chatting from a couple of time zones away. Daniel is currently in New Mexico, is that right? That's right. And what, what brings you to New Mexico?
1: So I am uh, in a master's program for music education, I'm getting my master's in music education here. Um, I moved here with my partner, Dylan. We're both studying at the University of New Mexico School of Music.
0: Oh, that's great. And what is your, what is your main study there? The program is eventually going to lead to a thesis, which
1: it's still a while away from now, but with all of the things happening with COVID-19, I've already started getting my gears turning about what's a topical thing I could do for my thesis. So thinking ahead there, but that's still about two years away from me. It's a three-year program.
0: Okay, that's good. Yeah, uh, and just reminding all the listeners, so these um, episodes are recorded in advance where we're still in various stages of a stay-at-home order of COVID, so all these interviews are recorded remotely. Of course, in your case, it would have to still be remotely. <laughs> You're a little bit too far exactly. away to be in the same room. Uh, <laughs> so, Daniel, you are, um, you've are. you had a lot of experience in theater. You, you have been at the typical... Conductor slash keyboardist. You've been, you've played second keyboard on a show and you've also conducted from a pit. And so I just want to just kind of go through those and just uh, get your stories, get your experience. Uh, let's mm-hmm. just start at the very beginning. How did you first get into theater? Okay.
1: That ha- starts way back in high school for me. Um, my first ever like theatrical, I started acting. Like that was my very first taste of any theater anything i acted in um a short one act for sophomore drama um it was really cute it was called super comics i get to i got to play a character that said literally nothing but puns <laughs> so it was something all right um but that was like where i first caught the theater bug and then from there um i auditioned for the spring musical. This is at West Forsyth high school, by the way, in Clemens, um, uh, North Carolina. I auditioned for the high school musical there. We did guys and dolls. I was in the chorus. It was super fun. From then on, I participated in every musical that they did. I was in the show in some capacity, whether it was ensemble or minor character and eventually going into lead character where I was Lumiere and beauty and the beast. Um, and that was really fun. But I eventually just learned about myself that, like i I just couldn't do the acting thing long term. It's so, I'll say this. It takes a special type of personality to like really like live for acting all the time. And I just learned about myself that I couldn't do that long term. And so, but I still love theater. Like I loved all everything about it and musical theater and such. So, after that, I um, reached out to community theater in uh, Louisville, and I'm not sure if it's still around. I think it was like Louisville Civic Theater or something. can't remember the name. But anyway, it was around when I finished high school that I performed in my very first musical as a pit musician. I was playing um, second keyboards to their production of Peter Pan, and that one was really cool because I still got to air quotes act right. in it because I got to do all the like tinkly bell sounds
0: for Tinkerbell on my keyboard. So, now what's the timeline really cool. at this point? Were you in high school or college? Or I had just graduated high
1: school, about to enter college, and this was like a summer production before I moved
0: away. Okay, so I feel like. Uh, now we should kind of catch another thread just to say so you've sure. been a pit musician. Uh, so you were, uh, as I mentioned, you wear a lot of musical hats. You are a keyboardist. Uh, you play piano. You, you've, you also conduct and you're also a composer. So let's just talk about the music journey. Uh, how did you get into music? Well, I mean, I think the music bug was, it was always in me. If I'm
1: being very honest, like I, We have home videos of me like mock playing piano when I was like an infant to like list Hungarian rhapsodies and it's the most adorable thing watching looking back. And then Mm -hmm. um so I always like was enraptured with music in some capacity. But then like when I got into sixth grade middle school, um, of course that's when band started and of course I jumped right on that as soon as possible. I started playing trumpet and then around seventh grade is where I asked my uh, family for piano lessons, and I from there, I started studying both uh, trumpet and piano for a while. I played trumpet in band. Um, I eventually played piano in orchestra as well because um, I had a super awesome orchestra teacher in high school, and from there, I went on to university, studied more piano, and what got me into composition in particular Was I'd always been writing music right ever since I can remember but like the first time anybody took me Seriously as a composer like actually sat down and talked through my score a little bit was as I said my super awesome high school orchestra teacher Ryan Peller and (laughs) I showed him like this string orchestra piece and Instead of, like, dismissing it as, like, something juvenile as, like, a plaything I did, he, like, he actually, like, took it seriously and, like, looked through the whole thing and said, okay, well, this and this and this need to be changed in order for to work for a string orchestra, but if you do this, we can perform it later in the year. And I was like, what? Oh, my gosh, Like actual people are playing my music. Mm-hmm. That's gonna be super awesome. And then, like, at the end of the year, they performed it. And that's where I seriously like decided, oh, I I, I can see myself doing this for a while. And so I auditioned for Appalachian State University's uh, music theory and Composition program, and I got in. so, Great. That's,
0: now, as a uh, fellow composer, I do have to ask because I have a similar story of high school music. What do you think of your high school piece now? Do you do you still do you still <laughs> respect it, or do you even talk about it? <laughs> okay, it's
1: funny that you mentioned that actually, because I think this can segue really well into another topic. Yeah. Um, but. For a long time, I forgot about it. Like I just I just shoved the score like somewhere. And I was like, okay, I'll work on something else. I'll keep this for posterity and all that. And now with all this time that I have at home, I found it again. And I was looking through it, and I was thinking, you know, there are a couple of things that I need to revise. Sure, but... the skeleton of the piece works really well for a beginner orchestra piece. And so recently I went back and edited the piece and it's something that I think could work very well for an advanced middle school or an early high school group. So yeah, it's, it's, it was good to look back on and to have that
0: revelation. Well, that's great. The piece that I wrote for my high school band my senior year, it was a very important step in development for me to get to where I am. <laughs> but uh, it's it's one that I won't be playing for anybody, uh, mainly because the melody, I inadvertently ripped it off, and I realized where I heard it later. Uh, of the most obscure places, it was from Jerry Goldsmith's score for Gremlins 2, The New Batch. <laughs> There's a little nice. trumpet fanfare at the end, and and what I wrote's not the same, but it's so cl- uncomfortably close. And and I was like, ah. Well, so that's kind of where I learned that if a melody comes too easy, you should be suspicious. And <laughs> it's always oh, better if you kind of have do. to craft it out a little bit, you know, <laughs> huh. to work that out. Um, have you ever done any composing or arranging related to theater?
1: Yes, actually. So when I was at App State around my sophomore year, I started a theater minor because I still wanted to be involved in theater in some capacity, but I wasn't crazy enough to want a double major because my major was already a double major, basically. Um, So I did a theater minor and the very first class I took was a playwriting course. And the end of that, at the end of that, we were supposed to, because we were, uh, constructing scenes and monologues and stuff, little bits and pieces of theater. And then at the very end, we were supposed to um, create a short play. That was our final project. And I did my script and it was called Spectrum. And mm-hmm. it, um, it, it uh, the story basically is, is that it takes place on this alien world where physically everybody basically looks the same but the color of one's blood mm-hmm. when you bleed out determines your caste system so like you have everyone from red all the way up to blue green and then pink which is reserved for royalty. Um by the way, if any of your listeners happen to know the webcomic Homestuck, yes, I did inadvertently rip some of this off of that if that's an indication of how much of a huge nerd I was and maybe still am. I
0: but like anyway. how your plot kind of inverts <laughs> reality so so cuz we You know, what we're always saying is that we all have different skin colors, but we're the same underneath, and yours is kind of the opposite Mm -hmm. of that. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, so
1: um, I wrote that script. And then at the end of my sophomore year, I just left it for a while. But around junior year, I looked back on it and thought, you know, I can see some elements of music working really well for this. And so I started creating a couple of songs for it and sort of incorporating it into the script. And I flushed it out over like a year and a half. And then it just became a musical. And it was Different, for sure. Right. Um, and around my senior year, I this was when I was, by the way, already preparing for a piano recital in the fall, mm-hmm. a mandatory composition recital in the spring. And so I thought, hmm not tack on a third recital on top of that and do a staged reading of this musical? Because mm. I don't already have enough on my plate. <laughs> mm-hmm. But anyway, um, I asked a couple of my good friends who I met through both the theater and music program to read so- some of these roles, and we whew, <laughs> we barely had enough rehearsal to get through it, but we got through it and we did the staged reading at the um, I believe it was March or April of 2015 or something. And we did it, and it was really well-received. I I, uh, I played piano and directed and music-directed everything, so that was like hats upon hats upon hats doing all at once. Um, and it was a good experience. Now, I will say, looking back on it, I'm the kind of person that desperately needs a librettist. <laughs> like, right? I- I'm looking back at some of the lyrics I wrote, and I'm like, oh, my God, this is the corniest thing ever. And so, like, I still have the book and the music for everything, but, like, before I could ever seriously send it out to anyone, I would really need the help of somebody who is a good wordsmith. So, yeah, that's the extent of me... That's my original work for musical theater. Right. I've done a little bit of um sound design and um also composing some songs for like uh, William Shakespeare plays. So
0: I've dipped my toe a little in a little bit of everything. Right. Well, I know the past few years, uh, you've probably most of your experience has been a, as a conductor, and that was it's kind of what your main area of study is right at the moment. So, and and you've had quite a wide variety of experience. Uh, so, you've you've conducted for musical theater, but you've also conducted concert music, like with an orchestra and smaller ensembles. And you've, uh, I know you've at least uh, substituted or had some experience with the ballet and with with opera. Uh, Just describe some of these different experiences of like, what's it like conducting one type of ensemble versus another? So in the grand scheme of things,
1: just conducting a straight up large ensemble, whether it's orchestra, wind ensemble, chorus, whatever, in a concert setting, it is the easiest thing in the world (laughs) compared to opera conducting, ballet conducting, musical theater conducting. And here's why with just a standalone ensemble, like you as the conductor, you're basically in control. Like there's, you can do anything you want according to how good the ensemble is. And so that's, that is pretty liberating with ballet. And musical theater and opera, there is so much that's out of your control, you have to have such lightning, fast reaction to literally everything that's going on it's such a it is such a mental marathon for one, two, three hours depending on how long the the show is um because oh, I can think of particularly with ballet, so I was um the assistant conductor for UNCSA's production of The Nutcracker for 2 years I got to know the score of that really well and I was just a sponge for like everything that had to do with ballet because um I never actually got to conduct it but in in performance anyway but I learned so much about the things that you have to watch out for when you're in ballet cuz um for anyone who may be familiar with it, the finale to act one is the Waltz of the Snowflakes. And by far, it is the most notorious part of a whole ballet to do because here's the thing. For the orchestra, they have to perform it up to a certain tempo. And um, let me rephrase it. You can't perform it too fast, otherwise the dancers are going to trip up on their feet because that's some quick choreography. And you can't also play it too slowly either because the orchestra will just lose that feel of the three against two or a hemiola. It's got to feel in one. And so that's uh, the part of the show that's so hard to put together because you have to meet in the middle and almost compromise with the dancers as well as with the orchestra. That's something very specific I can remember about that. And for opera, I was lucky enough to have been the assistant conductor for um, the A.J. Fletcher Opera Institute's productions. Um, and I can think specifically about um, when we did Rossini's La Cenarentala, Cinderella. You just have to know every detail inside and out backwards and forwards so that there's no surprises because so many people are literally looking up to you to keep the reins together. You, you have to know the language. You have to know the story. You have to think ahead about what's going on. And that's the tough thing about conducting anything In any genre, you have to be in the moment of what you're doing now. And you also have to simultaneously think of what's coming next so it doesn't come as a surprise to you. And, of course, all of those things that I just touched upon also apply to musical theater as well um, because, of course, that has everything, singing, dancing, acting. There's so much that's going on. um, And honestly, honestly, I think the most challenging thing is musical theater just because you have... All of those elements that I talked about that switch on a dime like so fast. You have vamps, you have repeats, you have (laughs) cuts, you have so many things that
0: just happen in our world and you just you have to be ready for it. And this is all assuming that the actors on stage always remember their lines. Uh Oh. God, yes. (laughs) My favorite is when they do remember their line, but they don't say it quite right. So it's like, I'm waiting for a certain last word, but they've paraphrased it. And all of a sudden, I realize they're done with their line two seconds later. And it's like, oh, guess we better go now. (laughs) Oh, yes. So fun. So you've, you've gotten to experience... Uh, a lot of different types of groups. So as I, as I mentioned in the first episode of this show, I kind of broke down theaters. The way I understand it, kind of going from the most kind of understanding of expectations to the highest expectations. You have, com- you have kind of community and uh, I'd say public school on one, on one level. And mm-hmm. then you have, uh, you know, your collegiate theater and kind of very close to that regional professional and you have Broadway touring, and then of course you have Broadway itself. And mm-hmm. uh, you've been in uh, you've been in multiple ones of those. So I know you've been in community theater uh, from multiple perspectives as an actor, as a keyboardist, and conductor. And you've also worked with uh, you've worked with a school with high standards. So and you've also worked with a professional opera company. So from your perspective, being the person in charge. What is it like to work with these different expectations? All right. So I'm going to preface this with something that
1: I have recently gotten to the mindset of. Obviously, there are technical abilities that will vary amongst all those groups. One thing that I keep constant, constant, no matter who I'm working with, whether it's a middle school orchestra or a professional opera company. One thing that is constant is that I put the quality of the music first and that's something that anybody can do. It is not something you need to sacrifice just because you have players that may not be able to read sheet music or you have player or you have um, people who haven't been playing their instrument very long. You can always, always make the quality of your music making at the forefront. And that's something I do regardless of where I am now, obviously that's going to mean different things for different groups. As I said before, technical ability is honestly the, is the most obvious factor um, because whereas in a professional theater or opera company, you can just hand the hand the performer, the music and be like, okay, learn this we we have we have rehearsal in a month go and you can trust that it'll be done versus in a school or a community setting you have to guide your performers a little bit more because there's not that expectation of oh you're a professional and technically capable person that can just learn this on your own that's not the case and you have to know how to guide your students sometimes, your performers, your colleagues. Um, And that just takes time. That just takes time because I am going to talk to a student group way differently than I'm going to talk to a community theater group of mostly adults. Um, And you just have to know who you're working with and what is the most effective and constructive way to work with everyone. I honestly, honestly, I th- kind of enjoy the community th- theater vibe a little bit more just because while everyone not may not be like super technically, uh, gifted, there's just this passion behind everybody that there they, because just, they love it. <laughs> they're there. They're there because they love it. And because they love it, they will put in the work. And I, I, love that. I truly love that, and I wish that that was the case more so in other places, um, but
0: yeah, it's just a great energy to feed off of. So, just to kind of elaborate on that, so I recently talked to uh, uh, Jim Brandt, percussionist, and he was talking about his experiences with kind of, you know, with community theater versus kind of more professional groups, and he said, like, with a you know with a community theater in a pit... If it's let's just say it's a rock show, he can put down a basic rock beat and you know ninety nine point nine percent of music directors and you know artistic directors are just fine with that. Uh, you know as long as he plays at the right tempo and so forth, goes, but uh, he can go ninety miles down the road to a professional theater. and if he doesn't play the kick drum on beat four like the ink tells him to, the rehearsal stop and say hey there's supposed to be a kick drum on beat 4 so i kind of guess i was thinking uh also in my experience you know i've i've prepared ensembles and heard them you know, the, the harmonies aren't quite there but you know, they're pretty close and you know and you know the director's fine with that and then i did that for another theater and the director and stopped the rehearsal in front of everyone said david uh, that doesn't sound very that- good It's like, what are we going to do about that? (laughs) So I'm kind of thinking in your shoes, uh, have you ever felt that pressure of what's expected from the higher ups is maybe a little different in one than another? Have you ever felt that pressure to succeed?
1: Not super strongly. Like, I understand. um, So the only time that like that really... I really felt that um was when I was working on uh, a, on a chorus line um and you and I worked on that production um at the end and this was for a UNCsa's um, acting out program and uh, that is to say I enjoyed the process it, it was honestly one of the best rehearsal processes I've ever been involved with because there. Is there was that sense of um, passion behind everybody, and that just made teaching the show and working with everyone, super great. But on top of that, you had, like, the UNCSA production budget, which made everything, like, such smooth sailing for the most part. The reason I mention this is because this was the first time I had ever worked with, like, a pro- like a full production team, like, where you had, like, multiple people in, say, like, obviously design and rehearsal and such, but then you had, like, producers and... um other higher ups, as you say. Mm -hmm. And there were some times where there were some creative like discrepancies and some like butting of heads of like very specific, particular things in terms of like the music and something in the, the blocking or sound or costume design. But it was, it was never anything that was bad or made the rehearsal process difficult. It's sometimes that just happens when you have a ton of creative people working on one big project. You're it's about sharing ideas and sometimes compromising on those ideas so that you get the end product
0: that works for everybody. Right. So you know, speaking of rehearsal process, so you're you are the first person that I've interviewed that uh has worked as a music director. And uh, I have intentionally kept myself out of these podcast episodes, so I haven't really gone through the process for those who aren't familiar with with musical theater. But uh, let's just walk us through. So you've been asked to, uh, and this can be a chorus line or any, any any show, you've been asked to be a music director. What? Let's just start with the auditions. Let's just walk through kind of briefly. Let's just go through the process. How do you get from the first auditions, or even before that, because sometimes there's production team meetings, where do you go from step one to opening night, just kind of in broad terms? Okay. (laughs) Um. How much time do we have? Oh, yeah. (laughs) So,
1: very first thing I do after my contract is signed and I have all the materials I work with, I sit down and I either watch or listen to the show depending on the sources i have available and i just get that in my head mm-hmm. and like live in that sonic world of what this show is like supposed to be like right. and i just commit that to memory and from there i develop some creative ideas about like okay this this is cool or oh i may not like the way this particular Album does it, and I may want to change some things, and also keeping in mind like what type of group I'm going to be working with because there are certain things that you just have to change depending on who you or your cast is, and so thinking about that ahead of time is a really helpful process and so from there you know you'd have your production meeting you'd meet with your directors your choreographers designers and sort of you dis- agree upon a a baseline understanding of what the world of the show is going to be like according to what resources you have and then from there you get into your audition and you you listen to everybody you compare different strengths um different weaknesses and and who you think would be best for what role which sometimes it's super easy and sometimes it is like pulling teeth Mm -hmm. because you'll have your director go oh i like this one person he really looks the role and then you'll have people like me saying yeah but can he sing those notes though does he does does he have that musical um uh, independence that is demanded of that role, because um, I don't have to tell you this, but I'm sure some if some body in your listeners will know this, like, there are just some people that are inappropriately cast for some shows, mm-hmm. and anyway,
0: that's that's all I'll say about that. Just, right. That, that just, I just, inter- uh, just interject in there, so I've worked with a lot of different directors, and it's very interesting, so there are some where you feel like you're you have an equal voice. You know, you, you right. kind of present your pros and cons for whoever's being considered. There are some times, uh eh, director pretty much makes the choice and you know, it's kind of up to you to go along with it. Uh right. and then it's been maybe I guess it's been a little over a year, about a year and a half ago, there was a show that the director was coming in really late. I mean they I mean literally the, the director signed on uh eh, maybe two, three weeks before auditions and uh, i was pretty much told you cast the show david <laughs> it's like because it's all singing oh. anyway <laughs> and you know sometimes it's uh those those shows can be fun but um but also very challenging the through sing musicals mm-hmm. like where there is no dialogue so the singing is most important as far as that goes okay so you've uh the show is cast what's your what is your process kind of as i mentioned before the music rehearsals uh or one of the first things that you get to. So you're very early on you have to structure those. What are some things that you do to prepare for music rehearsals?
1: Okay. All right.
0: Excellent. Um, so
1: the number one thing that I think through, and by the way, this is assuming that I've already done the work of like knowing the show inside and out, who sings what, how the pacing of everything goes. I've done this way before, like even production meetings have started. So now that I have that in my head and we've cast the show and all that, what I do is I, and this I have learned through trial and error. I've not always done this, but I've figured this is the best, best thing is to create a super structured and super descriptive rehearsal schedule and that like that you have to understand the show to make because for example um let's just say we're (laughs) let's just say we're doing um a very chorus heavy show like jesus christ superstar for example which i was involved with a number of years ago um yeah the chorus carries that show. Mm -hmm. Obviously you have your leads, but they're the, the ensemble just has such a involved part in it. And, That music is not easy at all. And so that is honestly one of the very first things I would tackle if like I were in the position of music director for that is you pick the hardest parts of the show, which almost always is going to be the chorus numbers and you just drill baby drill. You make sure that everybody learns it correctly, commits it to memory and you give them all the tools that you need that they need so that, it can be executed every single time to your parameters and making sure that that's the first thing you tackle. Then from there, I'll usually incorporate a leads rehearsal or like do a one-on-one or a uh, one on two, depending on like if it's a solo duet trio with our lead actors, because then that's the next most musical heavy part of the show. And in my experience, those have gone like pretty well because most of the time people who are cast in that role, they'll come into that rehearsal, basically knowing the song based uh, more or less. And they just need a little bit more guidance as to finessing that a little bit more and uh, getting some of the more musical detail. And from there, um, I make sure that it's solid run-throughs, one right after the other. Um, and I always end like our series of musical rehearsals um, with just one solid run-through of the show, just sitting down with scripts and scores, singing and speaking through everything, nonstop as if you were performing it just from like your chairs, because I found that it's been so incredibly helpful to do that for your actors to get a sense of the pace of the show. And I've also found, I've also found that it's super helpful to do it before the zitz probe, because <laughs> there are just so many things that can happen and do happen during the zitz probe that you do not have the time to go through the minutiae of the vocal lines at that point you right. have to focus. for
0: for our listeners what is zitzprobe
1: oh yeah so a zitzprobe um i think it's derived from like a german word like sit sing right. i think it's the rough translation but basically it's the very first time your actors and your pit musicians get together and perform the show like just sitting down and playing the music together right. and
0: and sometimes you have a vander probe <laughs> which is oh, walk yeah. around <laughs> exactly okay so at this point you know at some point the the really the actors fall under the leadership of the director and you kind of interject you know comments you know it, it, direction as as it's appropriate and maybe some brush ups but at some point uh you know again we're we're life in the pit so we've got to get the orchestra involved. So, uh, step one, I assume, is somebody has to hire the musicians. And mm-hmm. and most often, now, if it's a large enough production, you have a an orchestra contractor, which is really nice when that can happen. But most of the time, it's your job as music director, correct? Uh, yep. So, uh, so, I assume that you start with, probably like me, uh, I mean, if it's if it's not a large group, you you, you start off with well, <laughs> how many can how many can we afford, right? What is the budget, and right. then you have to look at the instrumentation. So I've played some shows where uh, it's just piano and drums, or it might be piano bass and drums. But a show that's kind of a large production probably has more instruments than that. So do you start off by just kind of the same way? What what does this call for? Like like how do you handle some things like it calls for five read books, uh, three trumpets, two trombones, but, uh, and maybe it's like, let's just say a total of say, uh, I don't know, 21 musicians, but Mm -hmm. you just have the budget for say 15. What do you start doing in that Mm -hmm. case? Well, I've been fortunate enough that that's only ever happened to me
1: once. Mm -hmm. And I actually had a little bit of help in that process. Um, so going back to a chorus line, um, that book, if you were to do it, like as it's written, that pit is enormous. <laughs> like you have at least three read players, at least like six brass players, like three percussionists, a string section, uh, three keyboards and, With the theater that we were working with, that's just not possible for both, like, size purposes and for budget. Um, And so this goes back to the whole me immersing myself into the sound world of the piece. I listen to a bunch of recordings, I follow through my score, and I think, okay what are some really important musical characteristics that really needs to be there for the quality of the show to not suffer? And what are some things that can be left out that don't affect the show that much? Um, And for each show, it's going to be different. It's this different sound world for each musical. And so once I do that, then I compare my notes with, say, like the budget a particular show has. And I think, okay, what's the best way to condense the sound world of the show to what our limitations are? And um, for Chorus Line, I figured the easiest way to do that is to combine a lot of the brass parts, for example, um, brass and some string parts, into um, another keyboard parts. Because that's, for people who may not know, that's actually pretty common now, is to have a pit full of keyboards, um, rather than, say, like a full brass section or a full string section. Um, and then figuring out like what good to keep acoustic what's good to keep electric there's just so many details that depend on the show but i can always really speak to a chorus line in particular um and i think that one
0: turned out pretty well yeah chorus line was actually the first professional touring show that i ever saw and and i went down and peeked at the pit right you know right after the bows and everything like during the exit music and I couldn't count how many keyboards I saw underneath stage oh. left. <laughs> it was just right. Amazing. There was like like three near one player, and then there was a there's some more stacked up. And and I know that they do that. Like f- apparently the like Phantom of the Opera was reduced by like almost twenty instruments for the tour. It's like it's nearly thirty oh, pieces yeah. in Broadway, but it's it's like maybe. 12 you know or 11 when they do hmm. tour and it's so keyboard heavy yeah let's see uh well there's just so much to talk about but i'll try to just get to a few more things so i want to talk briefly about just playing keyboard in a show so let's uh-huh. uh, just for the benefit of the listeners we we have reciprocated on shows before so uh, <laughs> I've, I've music directed nine to five and had you as a second keyboardist and uh You've, of course, on Chorus Line, you conducted that, and I played keyboard for you. So let's just describe, you're not the music director, you're coming in for keyboard. What mm-hmm. what are some things you have to do to prepare for a show like that? Okay, all right.
1: The number one thing as a keyboard player, unless you're doing like Rodgers and Hammerstein, or some really old musical where you're basically only playing like piano harp or celeste right like those are your three voices if you're playing a musical you're more than likely going to be swapping back and forth between a ton of different voices in the keyboard and you have to go through that book and figure out what you can do what's possible based on the equipment you have and what you have to compromise a little bit on and figure out, okay, if this line's doubling, can I leave it out, etc. cetera. Um, I recently actually invested in a really nice keyboard. Uh, I got a, uh, a Korg Chrome EX88, which is a really awesome keyboard because you can create a list of patches or like specific sounds for the show. And you can basically make a list of like, okay, I need this type of sound at measure four and then at measure 20, I need to switch to this next sound, and then all you have to do is hit the pedal and it'll immediately go to the next sound. Before I got that, before I got <laughs> I got I had this really um darling key station that had voices that worked. But in order to go back and forth between all of them, I had to manually punch in every single number mm. to get from one sound to another. And with some of patch some of the patch changes that happened in shows, you just can't do that. They happen like on a beat, if not less than that sometimes. And you would just oh it's I, I'm really glad I got that keyboard because now I don't have to sacrifice that. Um I'd say, um, I'd say for anybody who's like looking into like really playing keyboard for musicals in particular, having a it doesn't necessarily have to be a Korg or whatever, but getting a keyboard that can easily switch back and forth between voices
0: is super important. Um, um, th- right. That's one of, the, one of the things that has changed over the last few few years because I was. I was looking into this. Uh, in fact, one of the shows I was preparing for just before uh, everything got shut down was a production of Shrek. And the keyboard, I was spending so much time programming the keyboard, so it's, it's kind of sad I spent all that time programming the keyboard. It's still programmed, but it probably won't get used for that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that said, I started researching, what do people do now? And uh, I, I guess, are you familiar with a program called Mainstage? yeah 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 it kind of goes with uh, apparently works really well with logic and you can use logic's onboard sounds and um and it probably works with other with other digital workstations as well but it's like you can integrate it in there and if you have a laptop it's like you can program it all and just hit hit a button and actually even sync your keyboard to it so uh, like a like a little pedal you know, so uh-huh. it's, it's, so it's very interesting, the things you can do, but yeah, I've, I've had the keyboards where you type in the number, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, uh, you know, you get one sound, but, but yeah, Shrek has places, for example, where there's two keys that you have to have designated for, um, well, I don't know, a cymbal crash, you know, or some kind of extra percussion, and then mm-hmm. you've got the, the trumpets on one octave and you've got the strings on another octave and you've got like uh-huh. an organ sound way down here and a bassoon. It was like five on one and you've got to have a certain level of keyboard to even hope to do any of that. <laughs> oh yeah. Now you've also been a music director who plays the piano one book and, and, and you're, you're live playing the show. You're playing, you haven't, you're having to focus on a part, which, Probably has a little bit more technical difficulty to it on the keys, and you also have to keep the other musicians in line. Um, can Can you describe what that's what that's like trying to <laughs> stay on top of that? Oh golly,
1: oh, yeah, I remember that show now. It was Blood Brothers. Yes. that's where I did that. Oh my god, that was that is one of the craziest mental workouts I have ever had because all right so for context um I was um the rehearsal accompanist and the music director and the lead synth player and the conductor all in one and that believe it or not was the very first show I ever music directed <laughs> and so talk about getting put through the ringer. <laughs> Like, oh my God, <laughs> I remember coming home from music rehearsals just like absolutely fried and be like, I don't want to see any music again. <laughs> so, but yeah, it's it was, um, that being said, it was actually a really good experience because it taught me about um, just all the sort of different mental levels you have to be on as a music director and as an accompanist and why those jobs are so important to keep separate in my opinion. Um, But sometimes whether it's for budget or whatever, that's just not possible. So um, when we got the orchestra together for that, um, thankfully it was a pretty small orchestra and we had some really amazing players. So I didn't really have to do much in the way of like, Um, guiding people too much Um, but there's a level of trust that you have to have with not only the orchestra but with the actors because as a conductor if you're just conducting like not playing you can just focus on like keeping your eyes and ears towards every element of the show and keeping it like wrapped together as you normally would when you're playing on top of that you you can't there's just no way you can split your attention evenly towards everything like you have to focus on playing a technical passage and then you have to switch on a dime to like oh this vamp's coming up i have to indicate this somehow and all that and there's the only way that works is if you have trust with your musicians and with your actors and all that because there's just no way you can like control everything at that point you just have to you have to focus on what you can focus on um and thankfully that was really easy to do with blood brothers um one because it's not a super technically difficult piano book but two um I just had a really awesome ensemble. And by the way, I remember this now um, since we were talking about different types of keyboards. Um, right. <laughs> that was the very first show that I actually had a multi-key setup where I had my my main um, toaster keyboard right. <laughs> doing mostly like the piano and organ stuff. But then I had like a small um MIDI controller keyboard hooked up to my laptop, which was at that time a dinosaur that was running logic (laughs) through that MIDI controller. And every night I was like, Oh God, please don't die on me. I need you for my special sounds. (laughs) Looking back, I'm like, Oh gosh, the things I had to do to get those sounds to come out. But right. That was my
0: experience with that show. Oh, great. Uh, well just, uh, so, again, there's so many more things we could talk about, but, you know, we've run kind of long. So I thought the last thing I'll do is this was posted today, and uh, there's a Facebook group called Theater Music Directors. And someone uh-huh. posted this thing called Music Director Skills Bingo. We won't play bingo, but it's, uh, <laughs> it looks like it's a 24-skill uh, checklist. So just tell me, yes or no, have you, have you done these or, or experienced them? Okay, so I know the answer to the first one, keyboard programming. Yes, <laughs> um, time management skills. Oh yes, but not always. I okay. had to learn that. All right, this next one was a no for me. Let's see how it was for you using Ableton. No, actually, but I do want to get my hands on it. Yeah, I assume that that's kind of what you use. Like, you know, I did Fun Home a while back, and that called for a loop. You know, you had to actually oh. loop it. So I assume that that was you either had to need a keyboard that can do that, or something like Ableton Live apparently makes that pretty easy. Right. All right play an instrument other than piano. (laughs) Yes. All right. Communication skills. Yes. Orchestration. Oh, yes. Okay. We know this one stick conducting. (laughs) Yep. Uh, writing lyrics. You talked about that. Um, sight (laughs) transposition. Yes, actually very recently. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Nice. Uh, vocal pedagogy. Yes. All right. Uh, Playing piano and performance, yes. And we talked about using logic. Yes. Um, Vocal arranging. Yes, yes. For sure. Uh, And using either Finale, Sibelius, or Dorico. And I think you're a Sibelius guy, right? Yep, I'm a Sibelius dude. I've I've been Finale my whole life, so people tell me I should try Sibelius, but I was like, well, as long as Finale works, I don't see a reason to learn another one. And they, they, you know, they share with each other so well. Um, So playing audition piano. Yes, actually. And I've done that a
1: couple of times where I was just invited to play. I wasn't like a pit musician or music director. Um, By the way, for any listeners who wants to get in some musical theater playing like that is a really excellent skill to have is playing auditions where you're handed that music and you have like 30 seconds to play to talk
0: through the auditiony and then you just play. Man, it's invaluable. Yeah, I don't I don't always ask every guest, you know, what what, you know, students should learn to be in a show, but I don't think there's an instrument where sight reading's not high on the list. You got to be a really good sight reader to do well. Mhm. Oh, okay. All right. Playing Sondheim. Never for a show, but I have done it for like small songs. Oh man, Sondheim's a bucket list piece. <sighs> right. I'd love to do that. All right, I know. I know you get a yes for these next few leadership skills, playing rehearsal piano, mm-hmm. organization skills. All right, uh, playing Jason Robert Brown. No, so, actually. Oh, no. you gotta try yeah. him out. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> last five years, or uh, let's just say uh, my, my my biggest. Well, I've done two shows. I've done Parade as keyboard two, which was which it's kind of a made up position (laughs) it was there's a big accordion part in that but the Mm -hmm. piano one book is insane and then i played songs of a new world and that's uh yeah it's it's quite a workout if you're if you're pianist uh running a click track yes actually not for a live performance
1: but i did um conduct a recording studio session for um, a short
0: film at uncsa so that ooh you talk about another mental workouts <laughs> right there's three left i know you got them all composing piano conducting and rehearsal techniques so yeah, it looks like you got all but two on there so that's pretty pretty good score Woohoo. all right uh well daniel thank you for joining me today where can people i know you're you have a actually you've developed quite a presence on social media so where can mm-hmm. people go if they want to follow you Totally. Um, so
1: I have a website, Daniel uh, where you can find um, links to a lot of my pieces. Um, I'm updating it daily at this point, so there's always new stuff. I also am on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, as either Daniel Buchen Music or Daniel underscore Buchen. You'll see my
0: face. It's right. not that hard to find. So okay. yeah. Assuming COVID cooperates and we're allowed to have theater again uh do you uh-huh. have any projects any performances coming up there is actually a community
1: theater here in albuquerque new mexico where i'm living now um, called musical theater southwest and i in january february was their rehearsal accompanist and um first keyboard for their production of dream girls um And I was supposed to um, have all things going as according um, played for most of their season, actually. Um, So assuming we can get back at some point, maybe I'll be doing something with Hunchback of Notre Dame or Carrie or Cinderella later in the year. Again, fingers crossed, knock on wood, that like this blows over as soon
0: as possible so that we can do something live again. Right. All right. Well, again, thanks for, uh, for joining me today and for taking, taking time. And, uh, well, hopefully we'll get back to theater soon. And, and, uh, well, and at any way, I hope you enjoy your time to get caught up in all your music and and Mm -hmm. so forth. And, uh, again, thanks for coming by. We'll talk to you later. Thanks for having me, David. And that wraps up this episode. We'll have two out next week, starting with Tuesday, when we talk to our first string player, a cellist. As a reminder, if you want to follow what's coming up next, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Twitter at LifeInThePitPod. You can follow me personally on Instagram at DavidLaneMusic or Facebook and Twitter at DavidMLaneMusic. As always, a special thanks to Mark Parolo for his cover art, and to Bill Sissna for providing the introduction to this podcast. All original music is composed and performed by David Lane. For the time being, you can find out more about this podcast at davidlanemusic.com slash podcast or at our Podbean page, lifeinthepit.podbean.com. Please rate and review on Apple Podcasts app and share with your friends. Thank you for listening.